0: You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. We've been in a series of Proverbs where we've been going through different things that we can learn from the book of Proverbs. And the title of the message today for me is simply this, Better Decisions and Fewer Regrets. Now, whether you are a Christian or not, and by the way, if you're not a Christian, I'm so thankful that you were here, but probably most of of, of us in this room have made a decision to follow Jesus. That in this journey of following Jesus, regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, All of us would want to agree that we want to leave this world having as few regrets as possible, having lived our life to the maximum. And so this title of this message of better decisions and fewer regrets is what we're going to be focusing on. And we're going to be obviously looking in the book of Proverbs. And so that's kind of be the emphasis of what we're doing today. And I guess all of us would hopefully agree we all want to make better decisions and have fewer regrets regrets in our life. Now, there's a lot of things we can't control. In this last month myself, I've been having, I've never had allergic reactions in my life to anything ever. And this last month, I've had multiple allergic reactions that have come out of nowhere. I've been in the ER twice. I now carry around EpiPens with me and Benadryl's become my best friend. And so, Sometimes there are things that happen to us that we don't see coming and we have no control over. Sometimes relationships can become difficult. Things can happen around us medically or financially. We don't have control over the weather. We don't know what's gonna happen always in the economy. We don't have control over a lot of things going on around us, but that's not to say that we don't have influence over everything because we actually have the ability to make the choices that we have in front of us. Now, things can happen to us. My allergic reactions, those things happen to me, but how I handle that, that's up to me. And so what choices are we going to make and how are we gonna live? And the prayer is this, is that we would be men and women who make the best choices possible. So let me start off with a very simple statement that is simply this. The quality of your decisions, of my decisions, is gonna impact the quality of your life. This is something I think we all would agree on. You're gonna, you sow something in the ground, if you're a farmer, you're gonna put in, you're gonna put in strawberry seeds, you're gonna have strawberries to be able to grow out of that. Whatever you put in the ground, the Bible says, God is not mocked, whatever you sow, you will reap. And so the quality of your decisions is gonna impact the quality of your life. You look at that financially. People who are wise financial people, that wise financial stewardship isn't just about how much money you make, it's how you handle your decisions financially. If you're not good at handling a little bit of money financially, it doesn't mean you're gonna be good at handling a lot. Because, and you can see it in life. So, so we wanna make good decisions, and the quality of our decisions is 100% gonna impact the quality of our life. Now here's a very simple way of looking at this. Just a survey, who grew up in the church? Anybody grow up in the church? Okay, yeah, most of us. So I grew up in the church. And having grown up in the church, I'm like, thoughts that I had, questions. Why does the word of God actually matter? Like I know that seems weird for a pastor to ask, but as a kid I'm like, why does the word of God actually matter? You open it up and it's stories that happened long before any of us were ever born, in lands and in cultures and in languages that none of us completely can always understand unless we study it. So why would God's word matter to us in what we read? That Does it actually impact our life? Because we live in a very different world than the world that existed back then. So. I illustrated this like this. Most of us have one of these right here, right? I have a teenage daughter who has one of these. Lord have mercy, if she doesn't have this, the world has ended. And so we do, anyway, phones. Most of us in this room have a smartphone, either Android or Apple, we have one of these things. Now when you get a smartphone, it's gonna have, there's two aspects of it. You have the hardware, which is the actual phone itself. This is $5 billion, you go and make whatever the payments are, however you're gonna do it. You get the phone itself, and, and Who had the original iPhone, anybody? Anyone have the original? Nobody, oh, ooh, no hands. All right, anyway, I actually have the original iPhone. It's sitting in my house. I meant to bring it, but I completely forgot. So this thing right here, the hardware. Now, it's not just hardware. You have the software, right? So you're gonna get the phone, and then you're gonna get the software for the phone. And then as you know as you get a phone, if you have Android or if you have Apple, that it's gonna do something called software updates. In other words, as your phone goes along, it's gonna to continue to update the software based on newer technologies and security threats and things that are coming along. And so whenever you get a phone, you're gonna go through multiple cycles of software upgrades. Well, the hardware stays the same, but the software is the aspect that changes. And so the simple illustration is this, is that God wired you, God made you, God formed you in your mother's womb, the hardware is in place, but the software, how you and I think about life. And this is where being a Christian is a really, really big deal. Because I have found that for a lot of Christians, we get comfortable with giving God our eternities. God, because no one wants to go to hell, so God, I'm gonna believe and trust in you, because God, I believe that you came and died for my sins, so I'm gonna give you my eternity. But what we tend to do, and we don't even realize it, is say, Well, my thoughts are actually my thoughts. And so this is where I've come to realize God's word is, has the most unbelievable impact because the hardware is in this room. It's us, we're the hardware. But how we think about things, The updating, the the, the, let me tell you how you can process information. How do you navigate through life? How do you handle getting along with your neighbors? How do you deal with your enemies? How do you handle your finances? How are you gonna live? Who are you gonna choose to be? What kind of woman, what kind of man? All of these things, when you go to God's word, He speaks to us and his word is like a software update to how we think and as you draw close to God, what you notice is God begins to change here which begins to change here which then goes into our decisions. And so the quality of our decisions matters and why does God's word matter? Because his word, let me put it to you another way. Sometimes when you open the Bible, you can think, well, God just wants so many things from us. He wants this from us, he wants this from us. The thing I've come to realize about God is that God always wants more for you than he ever wants more than He ever wants from you. He wants the best for your life. He wants the best for your family. He wants the best for your marriage. And what he wants to do is change the way you think about so many things. But many of us, it's easy to say, well, God, I'll give you my soul, but I'm gonna keep this for myself. And if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, this right here, this right here, giving it over to God and saying, God, what do you say about these things matters? and this impacts the decisions that we make. So, having said that, why is it hard to actually, why are making good decisions hard? Why is making decisions in general hard? Three quick things, and then we're gonna keep keep going, okay? Why are good decisions hard? Well, number one is this, is that we're overwhelmed by choices. We're overwhelmed by choices. Sometimes when it comes to making a decision, we have a million things that we can choose from to try and do, and so it becomes difficult because we don't wanna make a bad choice or we don't wanna make a choice that feels like it's the wrong direction, and so in being overwhelmed by choices, we're like, ah, I don't wanna make any choices. Overwhelmed by choices. My son just turned five or had a birthday party, and so I remember when I was a kid, whenever I wanted presents, what I would do is they had something called catalogs, which I don't know if you've ever seen, it's on paper, and they'd ship it to your house, and you would open up a catalog and flip through it. I remember being at my granny's house, and she goes, son, what do you want for birthday or Christmas? And I opened up a paper catalog, and I flipped through it, and I grabbed a pen, and I circled the presents that I wanted. Now, in confession, I circled almost everything there. I don't know about you, but I'm like, I want Everything. And so my kids now, by the way, they don't understand what paper is. My kids don't understand that screens, that you can't just touch screens and just move them along. And so what my son, my, my son did for his birthday, he's like, okay, um, and he'll sit on my lap, dad, can I look at my Amazon birthday list? And I'm like, all right, it's an endless list of I want this and I want this and I want this. Multiple choices, they're out there everywhere. What stops us sometimes from making good choices is the overwhelming amount of choices that we have in front of us. Well, here's another reason why making, making decisions can be hard. Ready? We don't like waiting. We ha- I hate waiting. I-, I have road rage. I'll be honest with you. Let me some pet peeves. Pet peeve number one is this, is when someone comes to a red light and they can turn right but don't turn right. It is like the bane of my existence. And there's a a specific light, by the way, I live in Fountain Inn, which is down the road, and there's a specific light, it's Harrison Bridge Road, you cross over railroad tracks, and when some, you can see cars backed up, and when they're backed up, I know there's a jerk who's sitting at a red light, there's no traffic coming, because there's almost never traffic coming, and that bomb does not turn right, and I think to myself, you have just made me five seconds late, you do not know Jesus. That's my, I'm like, you know what's weird? This is like crazy, so I, I, I grew up in a generation with commercials and TV, and now when I see a commercial, I'm like, what is happening right now? How, who's forcing me to sit through this nonsense? I'm so bad at waiting that when I'm watching a streaming show, when it starts buffering, I lose my mind. Who stopped this? How crazy is this? You know what's happened to us? We have become, we've become so quick to be in a hurry, and yet we feel so busy. Isn't it weird? But think about this for a second. You could go out right now and buy an 85-inch TV and even if you don't have the money for it, guess what? You can have the payments because you don't have to wait for it, you can get it now. And not just an 85-inch TV, you can get an 85-inch TV, not even 8K. They'll take you to a back room where they have holographic future stuff. It might be $40,000, but man, it looks incredible. If you just do an endless amount of payments of $199 a month, it can be yours today. I was shopping for a, I'm gonna tell you this. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, okay, dang it, I'm already in it now, all right. I can throw down on a bath. I love taking baths. I shouldn't tell you this. I don't know why I'm telling you this. I, I can take a bath like nobody's business. I'll throw on, okay, I'll just stop. I'm not gonna take the whole, I like taking baths. So I'm like, I wanna get a bathrobe. I'm looking at bathrobes, and I'm like, I'm looking at a bathrobe, and I'm like, you can make payments on a bathrobe. I'm like, man, I'm, my point is, How many bad decisions were made simply because you don't wanna wait? How many bad relationships have people gotten into because I don't wanna be lonely? Y'all know what I'm saying now? You got my hit. okay. We don't wanna wait, bad decisions, okay. Here, let me tell you another reason why 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 good decisions are hard, ready? We let emotions rule the day. We let emotions rule the day. This is a big deal. Sometimes it's it's like we've come to a place where our feelings trump anything that's logical or rational. And by the way, you have two sides of your brain. You have a rational side of your brain, which is the side of your brain that's like, man, don't do this, don't do this. And then you have the emotional side, which is like, oh, but it would be awesome. By the way, I, I love food. That emotional side of my brain, you know when it starts speaking to me the most? At 9.30 to 10 o'clock at night. It starts telling me that the Blue Bell choc- Dutch chocolate ice cream is in the fridge and I haven't thought about it all day. And when I'm laying in bed, that emotional side of me says, mm, mm, mm. It's just waiting for you. The Swiss cake rolls that my, that my wife gets for my kids for their lunches, which by the way is ridiculous in general, Swiss cake rolls, if you look at the calorie count on a Swiss cake roll, it's like, anyway, it's ridiculous. If they're in the pantry, you know what happens at 9.30 at night? That emotional part of my brain's like, ooh, that's, it's just right, our, my bedroom is next to our pantry. That is not a good thing in our house. Emotions. And so how many bad decisions have we fallen into? You know what we do? Sometimes we make permanent decisions on an emotional moment. And let me take us even a step further. You know something that I think we've come to believe? That it's our, that our ultimate destiny is to be happy. And then if we're not careful, we think it's God's job to make us happy. And a lot of times we get mad at God because we're not happy. And we think, well, listen, and we understand, we, we have the pursuit of happiness in this country And if we're not careful, we think, okay, God, you need to come down. And when we're not happy, God somehow dropped the ball. Because we've established this mentality to say that if we're emotionally not happy, then we're not doing well. By the way, God never promised to make us happy. Any parent in here, you can love your kid. Sometimes the thing that makes your kid happy is not the very best thing for them. Y'all know what I'm talking about? To make my kids happy, it would be M&Ms for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But I got to tell them, man, throw a carrot in your mouth every once in a while. Like, just shove a vegetable in there. Like, look at, look at a vegetable. Like, it's gonna be okay. It's not always the, you know, whatever. God's the same way. And somehow we've made God the, the one who, we, it's almost like we go to God. Okay, God, I need to be happy. You need to make me happy. And if you don't make me happy, then therefore I'm not gonna believe in you. Well, I, I'm just being honest this morning. These are things, so, so we allow emotions to rule the day. So here's the question. What do you really, 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 really believe about God? What do you really believe about him? I grew up overseas. I tell tons of stories, about having lived, I spent half of my life in Latin America, South and Central America. And one of the things about growing up overseas is this, is what I've learned is, is when you get on transportation overseas, and I was born in 1980 in Bolivia, and lived in South America in the 80s and 90s, and in the 80s when you traveled in South America, you had to have the faith to hold on for everything. And it really, like, what do you really believe? Let me show you a picture. of This is the kind of aircraft that we flew as a family. This is an actual picture taken for the plane we were gonna get on, dirt runway. These are the airplanes which were no longer in service in the U.S., which made it down to South America. And let me just tell you some stories. As a kid, we were on a flight, and we looked out the window, and there was liquid streaming on the side of a plane. Pilot comes on and says, hey, we have to turn the plane around because fuel is leaking and we may not make it to our destination. Nothing is gonna cause you to ask, what do you really believe, like being on an airplane like that? And by the way, another time, right before landing on a plane like this, all of a sudden the plane shot back up in the air again, pilot comes on, sorry folks, we forgot to put the landing gear down. (laughs) Uh, One story, my dad and I was gonna take me, it was just my dad and I, He got asked him to go speak to a remote village somewhere in South America, Right before we get on the flight, they say, sorry, the plane is down for maintenance, we can't take the flight, they threw all the people on the airplane, not a big airplane, into a, one giant room together to sleep, to allow for time for maintenance on the aircraft, 24 hours later, and my dad's like, man, this is looking rough, but, but he's like, okay, God's gonna be with us, he's gonna protect us, he'll help us to be on this plane. 24 hours later, get on the plane, we fly to the place, everything goes well, I'm a kid, I don't really remember this, he tells me as an adult, he goes, yeah, that plane that we flew on, I trust so God to be with us. We made it. I was able to preach. We made it back home again. That same airplane, two weeks later, crashed. I mean, it's like, you get on stuff like this, you're like, what do you really, really, really believe? Let me show you one more picture. Here. This is, we lived in a place called the Amazon jungle in Iquitos. We actually went on a mission trip as a church. If you don't mind going to the next one, Miss Cooney, the one with the boat. Yeah, there you go. So in the Amazon jungle, the Amazon river is crazy. If you take the world's eight largest rivers and combine them the Amazon River is bigger than all of them combined. That's, it's massive. And here's the thing about the Amazon River. You are not the apex predator. If you fall into the water in the Amazon River, they are waiting for you to eat you, everything is. Plants are gonna tuck, uh, kill you, poison. You have frogs that look bright and cuddly, they will kill you. You have piranhas, you have anacondas, you have boas, you have massive catfish. I'm telling you, you have alligators, and you have all kinds of puma. It's just, it's just the jungle, so you wanna be careful. One time we got into one of the boats just like that as a family and there's a bucket in the boat and the guy with the little motor in the back, we're like, what's the bucket in the boat for? He goes, well, there's a small hole in the boat and I need for you to get the water out faster than it comes in to make sure we make it to our destination. Do you know the faith you have to have when you know that if you get into the water, good luck and so get the water out, get the water out, the faith. Life is like that. Life is like, well, you don't know what's gonna happen next. You don't know what is gonna happen next. Now, there's a lot of things we've mentioned you don't have control over. So what do you really, really believe? Like, really believe. Past all of the things that you might say you believe, I'm talking to the core of your soul. This is something that I wrestle with. Most of us grew up in church. Having grown up in church myself, what is my faith? And what is faith? That's the question I ask myself. What is faith? And you think when you grow up in church, and I grew up in a charismatic church environment, but I also went to a private Baptist missionary school. Talk about confusion. Because like swinging on chandeliers on Sunday mornings, but then like super serious on a Monday. Like, I'm like swinging on all the weirdness of church. So like, what do you believe? What is faith? And this is the conclusion that I've come to. Ready? Faith is not wishing upon a star or pretending. Sometimes we think of faith as like, well, if I have enough of faith, if I have enough faith, it can happen. Faith is not wishing upon a star or pretending. You know what faith is? I've come to learn faith is trusting that God is good despite what you see, that's faith. And so what do you really, so I've come to realize, okay, despite what I see, I can now trust that God is good. Now, what you really, really believe can be impacted by God's word, which changes the way we think. So what does Proverbs say about what we should believe, about how we should think, and go about this? A couple of verses real quick, Ready? And there's a phrase which, we've, which is mentioned over and over again in Proverbs, ready? Proverbs 1, 7, this is the NIV, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That phrase, the fear of the Lord. Now, when I grew up in church, the fear of the Lord is like, are we afraid of him? Is God gonna shoot lightning bolts down? I grew up, again, in church, like a lot of us in this room did, I thought if you smoked a cigarette, the ground would open up and swallow you whole if you looked at alcohol, it was like God was gonna descend from the clouds and strike you. Now, I've come to realize this, that when it says the fear of the Lord, I want you to look at the fear of the Lord differently. To the Jewish people, when they said the highest form of worship, ready? The highest form of worship to the Jewish people was awe, that you're in awe of God. If you've ever stood at the edge of of the Grand Canyon and looked out at how majestic the Grand Canyon is, you know what you are? You're in awe. If you've ever been close to a really, really big powerful waterfall, one that is massive, you are in all of its power. If you've ever seen a really big wave, you're in all of it, meaning that it's beautiful, but it's not something you should take lightly. And so when he says the fear of the Lord, it's not that we're afraid of God, it's that we are in awe of God. Instead it says this, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and if we truly are in awe of who God is, and if that's the cornerstone of how we think and how we wanna live, it makes a big difference. I, I, I love history. History is a fascinating subject to me. And I, I came across a story of a boat that left Australia in 1859 and it left Australia all, all going to the UK. Massive voyage. And on the ship, it had $170 million worth of gold on it. Massive gold mining operations in Australia. And so the ship, right as, as it was off the coast of the UK, the United Kingdom and, and England, A massive storm breaks off on the ship and the ship begins to sink. And there was reporters who were on the shore who who mentioned this. People were trying to get to safety. They were trying to make it. But there was people who knew that there was gold on the ship. And as the storm was hitting, you know what they did? They went inside and they grabbed the gold and they stuffed it in their pockets and they stuffed it on their person and they jumped in the water. And you know how this is gonna go. Began to swim to shore. Problem is, is that gold is heavy and storms are scary And they noted that these people who shoved all these things in them as they began to swim to shore, you know what happened? You already know. They began to sink, drown, and die. This phrase, the fear of the Lord, I'm telling you, it will change how you live if you really believe it. If you really believe right here in the fear of the Lord, it is the thing that determines all of the other things. And the Bible says how you think, do you actually, are you in awe of who God is? Let me give you another verse, ready? Look at this. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Let me give you another one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So I'll tell you another way. The awe of the Lord. The awe of who God is is the beginning of this. So what, so what? Why are you bringing all this up? Well, let me tell you why, Ready? Because when your values are clear, your decisions are going to become easier. The thing that's going to help you to make better decisions in your life is going to be this. Do you fear God or do you not fear God? That one single thing will determine how you go about making all of the other decisions that you have in front of you. And if you come to the place where you actually fear God, and I'm not talking, I'm talking about like where you really believe, okay God, what do you have to say about the situation? Then it will impact all the other situations and when you have your values in place, like when you know, and the Bible says this, Elijah declared this, he, he does this big battle with the prophets of Baal and then he looks at the people and says, choose who you're gonna serve. If Baal, then follow him, but if God, then follow him. Joshua in the Old Testament does the same thing. He goes, choose for yourselves who you're gonna serve. And then he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In other words, what you value will determine the decisions that you make. So what do you really value? In our country, the thing that we value is Happiness. We think that that is the prime source of life, is to be happy. So then therefore, the decisions that are made are based on how can I have money, because that we think that's it's whatever it is. Some people are how we can have fame. My kids are already asking me to do a YouTube channel, and I'm like, I'm not letting you do a YouTube channel, because first of all, it's a lot harder than it looks, and that's ridiculous, and, and there's a whole lot of mean people out there. Now, if you're an adult and you wanna do your own thing, that's fine, but just know that's on you. In my house, I am not letting you, you think you're gonna be Insta-famous on a YouTube channel. It's not like that, but a lot of people go out there and they try and think, well, happiness is my main goal. What things do I do to try and make myself be happy? For us, for us, you and me in this room, what is the core value that we have? Hopefully, it's that we're in awe of who God is. And it should, and once with that value is established, it should impact how we treat our spouse, how we handle our kids, how we handle our money. It's the thing that impacts all of the other things. In 2009, my wife and I had only been married for a little bit of time, I was 28 years old, and we moved to Nicaragua, Central America to launch a missions program. And I thought I was gonna be a missionary for the rest of my life. I never thought that I would be a pastor in the US. It was never something that I believed that God had for me. I had gone to school to be a missionary, I believed I would be a missionary, my wife and I got married and we were going to be missionaries. And I wanted, the Lord put on my heart this dream to launch a missions program to reach kids. And so we go to Nicaragua, and like a majority of the population in Nicaragua is kids. And I'm like, how do we do this? Where we do And I fell in love with the kids in Nicaragua. Let me show you a picture of one of the girls who came to our program. We would go out and we visit, and you see these unbelievably heartbreaking situations. And so I'm like, man, how do we get kids to come into the church? And then House of Hope that we partner with as a church is an outreach to um, women in brothels to try and get them out of that lifestyle into something else. Well, here's the thing. A lot of those women, guess what? They have kids. And because of the lifestyle those women are in and because of the kids, they don't feel welcome in a lot of churches because the churches are super religious. So I'm like, how do we open our doors to the kids of these women so that they can feel loved by a God who loves them? So I was like, how do we do this? So we arrive in Nicaragua. I'm 28 years old. I'm newly married. The first month we get there, my wife becomes pregnant. So a lot of change in a short period of time. And immediately, I'm like, we we don't have a ton of resources. I'm like, I need to find a location to be able to have so that we can launch our ministry. And I get a real estate person, and I go around the city. It's a city of a million and a half people. I start looking for a place. I start looking for a place, looking for a place. Everything's too expensive. Can't afford it. We can't make it. And I begin to get discouraged. And in the middle of this, I feel God begin to just tell me, hey, Jeremy, instead of looking for a place, Why don't you start building a team of people around you to help do the ministry? And I'm like, but God, that makes zero sense because we don't have a place. He's like, no, but do do what I say. I got this. And I said, okay. And so as a 28-year-old man who just landed in a country to start start a ministry from scratch, God said, do it my way, not your way. And then because I do fear the Lord, I said, fine, Lord, okay, let's do it. So I started searching for a team of people. You know how weird it is to say, "Hey, do you want to work for us?" Yeah. Where are we at? I don't know yet. But I did. I came across a guy who who was helping lead worship at a church. It was a church in the area, and he he came with me, and I had a chance to meet with him, and we seemed to gel a little bit. And so, but but I was like, "Listen, I don't want to offer you a job until I first talk to your pastor to get permission. I don't want to take anyone from what they're doing." And he said, yeah, I understand that. So I set up a meeting with his pastor and I go to the office and I'm sitting down with the pastor and they happen to be one of the larger churches in the city and, I mean, just impact, and they have multiple churches and several orphanages and feeding programs, big church, and so I'm sitting there talking with the pastor, and I say, hey, so-and-so on your worship team, I said, I'd love to, I wanna tell you what we wanna do. I said, I'd love to be able to hire him, or I'd love to be able to hire him, but I don't wanna do it without your permission or blessing, and I'm sitting here talking to him, and he's like, thank you for asking me and not just doing it. I said, yeah, absolutely. He goes, I give you my blessing. Please give him, offer him something, and, and you know that hopefully he wants to be part of it, and while we're sitting in the meeting, while I'm doing that, asking him for permission, There's a lot of commotion going on in the building. I'm like, hey man, what's going on in the building? He's like, yeah, oh, oh. He goes, well, we're moving locations. I said, that's cool. I said, he goes, we've been renting this place for 25 years. The Lord allowed us to buy a property. We're building a church and we're gonna be moving over to that church. I said, that's really cool. I said, so what's happening to this place? He goes, I'm not really sure. He goes, are you interested in this? Now, I had been looking at properties. And this place could seat 700 in the main auditorium. They had built out classrooms and they had office space with air conditioning. Do you know that on the eighth day God created air conditioning? (laughs) Especially in Nicaragua. There are two seasons, hot and hotter. Air conditioning is God's gift to humanity. And the offices they had air conditioning. And so we're sitting in his office, air conditioned by the way. And he goes, are you interested? I'm like, let me pray about it. "Mm." Yes, the Lord said yes. I'm like, there's no way we could afford this place. No way. And in the meeting of this office, then he said these words, ready? He said this. We've been renting this for 25 years and because we've been such good tenants, we have an unbelievably good relationship with the owner. He goes, and if you're interested, you can start renting it under our name and I'll talk to the owner and then you can see if she'll give you the same special rate because of us that, that she's given us. And I said, well, how much are you paying for it? He goes, we're paying $900 a month. Now, I know it seems like sometimes in third world countries everything's cheaper. Let me give you, let me burst that bubble. Usually in third world countries everything's more expensive because everything has to be imported. And then you have, sometimes you have crazy governments who tax the heck out of everything. So when I heard $900 a month, I said, we can afford that. And I would already looked at so many properties that we couldn't afford. And this was the best one of the, and it was right across the street from a stinking park, centrally located. Calls the owner, meet with the owner. The owner says, we would love to give you the same rate we've given this church and when the church left, they left stuff for be able to use with kids. Let me show you the pictures of what God did in the beginning days of what our ministry looked like. That's my daughter right there. Born, ministry started, but look at that. And the amount of kids who began to come into this room, I'll do the next picture, Miss Community, if you don't mind. Kids. Kids just began to pack the place out. And do you know what caused that decision to happen? The fear of the Lord. And I'm gonna challenge you with something. How many things does God wanna do in your life but he can't do because you don't fear him? It's the thing that affects all the things. When you read the New Testament and you see Jesus, he says this, seek me first, and then he says, All these other things that seem important, you will have if you seek me first. Do you know why that is? Because when you put Christ first in your life, it impacts every other area of your life. When you put Christ first, it makes you a better husband, a better wife. When you put Christ first, it makes you a better mother or father. When you put Christ first, it changes how you view money. When you fear God, it's the root thing that impacts all of the other things. And God wants to do stuff in your life. He wants you to make better decisions. But the way to make better decisions is to really say, What do I value? The same God that was with me in Nicaragua is the same God that's in this room right now. And so we open up his word and it says the fear of the Lord. How do we think about something? How does that impact how we live and the decisions that we make? It's a big, big, big deal to the Lord. I am super running out of time. So real quickly, ready? I wanna take you to, you know what, I don't actually have time for that. Never mind. I was going to take you to the book of Isaiah. Let me take you to a, let me take you to a, let me take you to a, of, of the verse that you know really really well. It's in I went the wrong way. Sorry, uh, wrong device here. It's Proverbs three, and you know this verse. Ready? Solomon writes these words. He says this: Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. I was gonna read Isaiah chapter six for you. Isaiah chapter six is a moment in which Isaiah gets a glimpse of heaven. And what's interesting about Isaiah six, just to give you a real quick context, is that Uzziah king dies, he dies. And that seems like we don't understand that. That means not a lot to us that Uzziah dies. It says, in the year that Uzziah died, Isaiah then sees a glimpse of heaven. He sees the throne room of God. And that, again, doesn't mean a lot to us, but you have to know that if you were in Israel at the time, Uzziah was a king who was mighty and powerful and served God and God blessed the nation. He served for 52 years. And so the moment that Uzziah dies, you know what happens? Uncertainty hits the land because all of the enemies of Israel, the moment Uzziah dies, are starting to get their knives out and sharpening them and say, we can now come in and conquer because Uzziah is dead. And that's the moment that Isaiah sees heaven. It's the moment that Uzziah dies that he gets a glimpse of heaven. And the reason why I love that passage of scripture is because the amount of times that you and I face uncertainty, it's, it's over and over and over again. And in the moment of uncertainty for Isaiah, God takes him up and he sees the throne room of God. And the problems of uncertainty for the nation and for the people melt away the moment that he sees God. It's another story, you can read it up. It's in Exodus chapter 17 in which an army is attacking the Israelites. They've left Egypt. Moses goes to the top of a mountain and he holds his hands up. If you read the story, and when Moses keeps his hands up, Joshua and the Israelites are winning in battle, but the moment that Moses gets his arms tired, they begin to lose. It's a weird story. Why is that? Here's my philosophy, ready? When Moses has his hands up, Moses' attention isn't just on the battle in front of him. You know where Moses' attention is? It's on a God who's there, who's ultimately in control. Isaiah, in the midst of uncertainty, sees God. Moses, on the mountain, you know what he is? Okay, God, here's the thing. In the midst of uncertainty for you and I, and the things that come and the decisions that we have to make, when we take our eyes off of the problems and we lift them up towards who God is, it is life-altering and our decisions become easier and we somehow get a chance to experience and see God move. I'll end with this. That's why worship matters, by the way. When we come to church, we worship not because we have it all together. We worship because God does. We actually worship. Sometimes you gotta declare truth before you feel it yourself. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you gotta say, okay, God. It's the act of putting your hands up that in the midst of chaos in your life and frustration and pain, God, you are seated on a throne that can never be shaken. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of these things. I'll end with this, this story. Uh, a couple years ago, I think I've even told this here, I, don't even, I can't remember where I've told my stories to, but they're probably gonna get repeated at some point. So anyway, a couple years ago, we're sitting on our house, this is a Saturday afternoon, everything's going great in our family, just a normal Saturday afternoon, getting ready for Sunday, when all of a sudden, we hear, really loud at our front door. And previous to that, we heard sirens outside. What the heck are the sirens doing outside? And like, you know how you hear sirens and they drive by? Well, the sirens didn't drive by. So I hear these massive loud knocking on our door and I look outside the door and there's a firefighter in full firefighter gear, like decked out, I open the door. He's like, sir, you have a fire in your house. I'm like, no, we don't. We were all just chilling in our house. No, sir, you have a fire in your house. And there's three fire trucks blocking our house. And so he rushes in, guess what? We had a fire in our house. Not a single smoke alarm went off. By the way, that stressed me the heck out of my mind. Let me show you a picture. Actually, this is of our house. Our house caught fire on the outside, someone driving by saw the fire, told the fire department, and they came and told us that we had a fire. How crazy is that? And you can see that it was a minute, or probably less than minutes, it was moments away from taking our, entire, taking our entire house out. And yet, someone saw the fire, told them, they came, put the fire out. But, but here's what happened. My parents and I, we live next to each other on our property. And my mom went to Nicaragua to be overseas to do mission work. And just a week and a half after we had a fire in our house, my mom leaves, my dad gets sick with COVID, like really, we didn't know it was COVID at first, got really, really sick. There was no hospital beds. So I'm over at my dad's house 24 seven caring for him. And the truth is, is that I actually thought he died in my arms. When I say sick, I mean, he was really sick. And after we had the fire in our house and they put the fire out and, and I was thankful for that, obviously got insurance to begin doing stuff and insurance honestly was great. I'm over there at my dad's house and I'm taking care of my dad and I'm not sleeping because I have to wake up every, every couple of hours to give my dad medicine. And I'm, I truly, my, my dad was not, a. I mean, he was just, he was it, I literally, yeah, he should have, it looked like he died in my arms. I'm taking care of him and I'm sleeping on the couch downstairs at my parents' house, which has a view of our house. And in my dreams, when I would go to sleep, and I didn't get a lot of sleep, I was getting dreams of my house burning down. And I was not in my house. My kids were at my house. And I was like, the smoke alarms didn't go off when we had a fire. I'm like, this is awful. And then I'm like, and then it culminated. I had several dreams of my house burning down in a fire. And then of course, if you've ever had something like that happen, you get super sensitive to smells. What's that smell? And you like go crazy. Like, and I have OCD. Like I will, I will, I will not rest until I figure out what the heck's happening. So I'm at my dad's house and I can't, I don't wanna go home, because I'm taking care of my dad and he has COVID. I don't want my kids to have COVID and the whole quarantine thing is the whole thing. So I was not trying to go home. And then one, one time it was at 4.30 in the morning. I'm having a dream of fire and I'm sleeping on the couch when all of a sudden I see a light from my house get bright. Now I'm half asleep, I had a dream of my house burning down. I jump up off the couch. I'm not the smallest of people, but I became the most athletic individual ever because I felt my house was burning. I jump over the couch like I'm in an Avengers movie and I start rushing out the door and I burst through the back door of my parents' house and I rush towards my house and I realized, it's not a fire. We have a floodlight at our house, in our backyard of of our house, that never gets turned on. My nine-year-old son, he's 10 now, woke up early and decided to turn the lights on and somehow turned the floodlight on. I had just had a dream of my house burning down. That light never gets turned on and that light turning on shone through the window of where I was sleeping and I thought my house was burning down. And as I ran outside and I had, I was just in a point of, of like, This is awful, and I felt God just say, Jeremy, who's greater, me or the fire? Do you not trust that I can care for your family? Yes, and then I realized it was the enemy who was attacking my thoughts, it was the enemy who was attacking me, and I went and I knelt down and I prayed, and I said, God, in the name of Jesus, No weapon formed against me will prosper. And I refuse to allow the enemy ever again to take ground in my mind and in my heart. And from that moment, I have not had a single dream of fires happening to us. Because I feared the Lord. And the Lord reminded me. That's how good God is. So I'm gonna pray over you. And as I pray over you, my hope and prayer for you is that as you leave, you will get to the place where you can say, what do I really believe? I promise you that God wants you to live differently, better. He has more for you than he ever wants from you. Let's pray. King of kings and Lord of lords, creator of everything, how many times in our life, Lord, have we been distracted, missed something, not understood it. And King, I I pray that we would not miss or be distracted by this truth that impacts all of the truths, that fearing you, fearing you is the root of all things because it impacts all of the other decisions that we make and that if we wanna have a better life, it starts with fearing you. I pray for any other things, but I know that people brought with them weights, issues, and problems, the church today. My hope and prayer, God, is that your word of truth would change how we think, so that then, God, we can live differently. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for today, in your holy, precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His Kingdom at therenovation.church.